This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy Honors Program, an apologetics learning experience designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the Christian faith and biblical creation. Launching early 2019, the program offers video and audio training with downloadable course workbooks, expert interviews, and exclusive Q&A sessions with leading creation scientists and apologists, quarterly ebooks covering a wide variety of subject matter, and even a private Facebook community where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. If you want to be notified when the program goes live and even help us design the experience from the ground up, head on over to www.jointca.co today and sign up for the waitlist. You'll get early access to the private Facebook group for free as a thank you for joining. You're listening to The Creation Academy, a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science. I'm your host, Steve Schramm, and this week I have a bonus um, kind of lesson for you going outside of the current series that we're on, which is dealing with the 2018 International Conference on Creationism. Going to take a, a, a break from that, at least for um, certainly this week. And possibly for the next couple weeks. Today we're going to um, be talking about science uh, in general. Uh, I realize we talk about science uh, pretty much every week on this podcast, but um, we're going to be talking today about um, how does science work. And I have some reasons for entering into that discussion, uh, which we'll talk about here in, in just a moment. But uh, just being completely frank and, and, and upfront with you, um, I have some things going on outside of ministry work that are taking uh, the bulk of my time. These are things dealing with my small business um, and also uh, another endeavor that I have going on um, that are going to take a, and are taking a lot of my attention um, in recent days. And certainly I don't want to neglect the ministry duties uh, by any stretch. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, I can, st- I still have some things to say um, in the podcast that maybe don't require as much preparatory work. Uh, there is a lot of preparatory work that is involved uh, in the current series that we're doing uh, with the uh, the ICC papers because there's a lot of research work and, and things of that nature um, that goes into the prep of each podcast lesson. And so um, there have been some things that I've been writing down that are a little bit, you know, they're not hour-long lessons, but there are some things that I have been writing down that I wanted to address on the podcast, and I figured maybe we would at least take this week and maybe the next few weeks even to to just um, to just hash some of those things out without uh, you know um, 
skipping any weeks in between. So uh, all that to say that I still wanted to come on here and give you guys some useful information. And for the next couple of weeks, likely we're going to be doing that, but it's not going to be in the context of the series that we're working on um, that will return uh, in more full force shortly. Um, Again, those lessons just require a bit more prep work. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend some time talking about the uh, uh, about science. How does science work? Um, so what prompted this discussion is well, any any number of things, but but frequently I uh, get involved in conversations with those who make a comment that creation science um, isn't isn't science um, at, at all. Uh, that whatever it is, it isn't science. It might be fanciful speculation, it's religious philosophy, but it's not science. Now, we've addressed uh, this particular question actually from multiple angles so far on the podcast. In fact, if you look back, and I'm going to try to pull up the list here, if you look back at uh, lesson number 41, we dealt with this as part of our goalpost series, and we uh, answered the question, what on earth is science? Um, what is science? And, and so we defined the word science, and we looked at methodological naturalism and philosophical naturalism, and um, looked at some of the confusion and some of the assumptions that are brought into that. And so we've already dealt with that. And then back in lessons 33 and 34, we dealt specifically with the question, is young age creationism pseudoscience? Um, and what we did in that little mini-series there was we looked at four areas. Um, the uh, des- uh, Let's see, what how, how did I put that? Um, it was uh, the dinosaurs and the deluge and the dating and then uh, Darwin. Those four areas that we looked at uh, are the main areas of disagreement uh, between creation scientists and what you might call mainstream scientists. And what we did was we considered those four areas and said, okay, well, is there anything inherent about our understanding of those different areas that would make the creation science enterprise unscientific? And what we found in a discussion there, and what I argued in the discussion, was no. Um, that there is nothing inherent about the conclusions that we draw in those areas that differ from the mainstream that would make the enterprise of creation science one that is unscientific. It is just as scientific. Um, even in those areas where uh, speculation to some extent may be involved, um, that is the way that forensic science often works. Uh, when we look back into the past, we oftentimes have to draw inferences based on the available data and the available evidence. And of course, we do regard the Bible 
as a piece of evidence. Uh, It's a historical document. What we have to do is incorporate our understanding of the Bible, and arguably we actually need to um, start there with our understanding of the Bible because the Bible is what is recording history. Science does not um, necessarily record history. All right, documents record history written by people who were there, eyewitnesses to the events. Of course, God was was the eyewitness to his creation event. Um, and then starting at day six, there were uh, some other eyewitnesses who I believe may have contributed to um, to the document that we hold in our hands that we know of as 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 the Bible, of course, taking it as a whole. Um, and so the point that I'm trying to make is that we have eyewitness testimony from the very beginning. John 1 tells us that the Word was in the beginning, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. And, of course, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we must understand that we have always had testimony to the nature of our world, to the history of our world. And it's a written testimony. And there is scientific information that needs to enter into the discussion at some point. Uh, at what point is debatable, and we might talk about that today, or we might even devote a whole separate lesson to that. But the point we want to make here is that the Bible ought to be considered evidence and factored in. So in, in all we're doing then, so does that make it unscientific to, that we factor in the Bible? Well, forget for just a moment that the Bible is a religious work and consider that most scholars would agree, especially in the Old Testament, that what we're dealing with is a historical work. And even those who would want to argue that maybe the early chapters of Genesis are highly stylized literature, they are highly figurative, they are possibly allegorical, most who would want to argue that way still want to say that at some to some extent, to some level, um, history is being recorded. Actual, real history, the history of the world. Now, there may be some disagreements even within that as to what, what the length of that history is. Uh, of course, as young age creationists, we have our opinion about that. But the point that, again, we're trying to drive home here is that this is to be considered evidence. It is evidence that must be dealt with. It is historical evidence that must be integrated into our understanding of things. And um, again, I think that it should take the highest. Uh, I think that there are some forms of evidence that have more testimonial weight to them than other forms of evidence. And since science, the process of science is uh, very inductive at, at heart, uh, it, it doesn't make clear statements about reality. Science is a process that deals with discovering things about the nature of reality. Uh, then what we can uh, surmise from that is that if we have a document that tells us about the nature of reality, then that ought to take precedence. And again, maybe the discussion will go there. So let's briefly talk about this then. Um, how does science work? And there's really, there's really two main points I want to make, and, uh, and, and that will suffice uh, for this week. So here's the first point that I really want to drive home. The first point is that science is not controlled by the majority. Um, now, this is 
something that can easily be misconstrued as a cop-out. Well, you disagree with the majority, and so when you say that science is not ruled by the majority, you're really just making excuses. Um, It's interesting. The only people, conversely, who claim that the majority has anything to do with science are typically people who are very dogmatic and quite removed from the process of science, of the scientific method. They, they're not intimate with it. They don't spend much time with it. In other words, there is a sense in which they have to trust the majority issue because they don't have knowledge in this area. And we, we have to kind of think through that a little bit because if we're honest, uh, to some degree, we all do this. Um, we kind of anticipate that when we are seeking medical treatment, unless we're talking about, you know, an end of life scenario where things are looking very bleak and there are a very limited number of options, I think for the most part, if we're talking about treating generally well understood um, issues, we probably expect that our physician is going to treat us using some method that has been adopted probably by the majority. In other words, we start with those kinds of things that are most pervasive, uh, that are most well understood to work in that particular situation if there is not further evidence uncovered that perhaps your body doesn't respond well to it or you have uh, perhaps you've been prescribed it so many times uh, for various things that now you need to look at a different prescription because your body is used to how this one uh, r- responds and is no longer effective Um in in bolstering your immune system against that particular problem. Okay, so so, so given uh, given that there are no external circumstances such as the ones we've mentioned, we kind of count on the fact that the people that we pay to perform services for us that are outside of the realm of our expertise are probably using um, tools and techniques and procedures that are in line with the majority. So I think we can agree with that. And so we have to kind of sympathize and say, well, this kind of makes sense. Because if you're a person who does not understand, who does not spend time with the inner workings of science, you may be uh, trusting in what the scientific majority says. Well, most of the scientific majority believes, for example, in Darwinian evolution, therefore, evolution is most likely to be true. The problem is that in in making that connection, whether or not you throw the word therefore in there, okay, in making that particular connection, a conclusion has been reached that is not accurate with respect to the nature of the enterprise. In other words, the subjective understanding may be that for you, 
you don't understand the science, and so therefore you are going to trust the majority. But realize that that is a philosophical choice that has to do with your limitations to understand something and your unwillingness to deal with it on the merit of its claims. So it may be subjectively true for a person that they are not well enough acquainted with the science and so they choose to put their trust in the scientific majority. But the moment you try to put that kind of scenario objectively on the scientific project, you come out with error because there is no logical connection between what is true and what the scientific majority believes. Um, As a matter of fact, the exact opposite is the sole factor, really, or I guess I should probably say the the, the main uh, driving factor in scientific progress. Scientific progress depends on the majority being wrong. This has been true all throughout history. This is the same way, to draw a parallel, by the way, this is the same error that a person makes when they believe that morality is a simply a cultural or societal handshake kind of a thing. Why is that? Because most of the moral reform that somebody who would make that claim champions, most of that reform was brought about by a small group of people, or maybe even one person, who led a resistance against the majority. It's absurd, in other words. It re- the, view, the view that it's ruled by the majority reduces to absurdity by the fact that the person holds many, many views that used to be the vast minority. Okay? And so... On this particular person's view, the next moral reformer, so to speak, would be wrong. Or in our context here for today's discussion, the next person with a scientific breakthrough would be wrong in virtue of the fact that he went against the majority. So understand that If you're going to say that you trust the majority uh, because you are not an expert in the field, understand that I don't necessarily squabble with you saying that. And you shouldn't necessarily squabble with somebody else saying that, but make sure that you clarify and make sure that you get really, really clear and say, but you have to realize that that's just something subjective. That's because you lack understanding in it. Um, No real scientist uh at least uh, you know the scientists uh quote-unquote scientists who write popular books in their championing of atheism may come across with a bit stronger opinion than this but most intellectually honest scientists whether christian or atheist or agnostic or buddhist or muslim whatever it is they would agree that science is not ruled by the majority science has to deal with claims. What is the evidence for a particular uh, set of claims when considering all 
of the available evidence. Now, those who do not take the Bible as any kind of evidence may just come to conclusions that are inconsistent with the Bible. Um, at the same time, there have been those who their exploration into the world of science actually led them to believe in a in a creator. And to be honest with you, that brings us kind of nicely to point number two. So recall that the first thing I really wanted to point out, that science is not controlled by the majority, and this is refuted by just simply looking at the history of science. This is, this is how science has always worked. We are not geocentrists anymore precisely for this reason, that the majority does not control science. Um... And again, I'm, I'm, I'm not wanting to make a claim about necessarily about Christians or one group, whatever. The fact of the, of the matter is that a, a good part of the world was were geocentrists uh, for some period of time. And then when the status quo was upset, uh, there was resistance to that because that's not what the majority believed. At least that was one reason. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that we now know from the evidence that this is not a geocentric solar system. And so we have to understand that science is not controlled by the majority. But so the second thing that we want to bring out them is that science is just merely a process. It, it, it's a method. It's a process. In, a, in a episode 41 that we mentioned earlier, in that lesson, we defined science as just the word knowledge. Uh, that's really the definition of the word, historically speaking. Uh, but let's speak in terms of science as a um, method, the scientific method, for example. Um, a lot of times, that's what people mean by science when they say science is, is the scientific method. So if we think about it as a process, as a method, there are two things as Christians that we need to understand about it. The first thing is that this is a process and a method that is made possible by theism. Now, it's interesting to me that the vast majority, I think over 70% of the world's scientists, do claim some form of, uh, basically, of atheism. They, they would not consider themselves to be, um, to be religious, uh, over 70% of them. And so, this is kind of another situation where the majority claim uh, comes, into, comes into play, and the fact of the matter is that one may choose to leave God, okay, out of his research, per se, and they may just feel that science will have the answer for the things that science does not answer today. Science will eventually have the answer to. I cannot tell you how many times I have been told that. Well, you just put God in the gaps in our knowledge. Well, science is eventually going to answer that. Well, that sounds to me like naturalism of the gaps. Um, there is just this uh, implicit assumption of naturalism and how they understand the enterprise of science. And so this could be why over 70% of the world's scientists do not claim any sort of religion at all. But the fact that they do not claim that cannot override the very historically um, concrete fact, one that I even heard uh, Dr. Michael Ruse very recently admitted this, and many others uh, certainly as well uh, admit this. The fact that science is even possible... It's just a fact of history 
that this was viewed to be a possibility because of theism. In other words, uh, there was no even inklings of science as we understand it today prior to the time of Christ. Now, there were uh, there were pursuits into the nature of the natural world, uh, so understand that. But a lot of times those pursuits were colored with the religious or cultural background of the, of those particular uh, those particular regions or those those particular people groups and societies that did not involve. Um, the idea of transcendence. And this is something that Dr. John Oswalt talks about in his book, The Bible Among the Myths. What we, what we really find, and it's quite interesting, is that prior to, uh, prior to around the time of Christ, when we were finally able to see this marriage of Hebrew thought with Greco-Roman thought, this concept of science wasn't really possible. Um, this is because the, the Hebrews, I don't know if you've read your Bible lately, but the Hebrews were not the most scientifically minded people. Nevertheless, these were the ones who had the the necessary concept of a transcendent God, in other words, a God who was other than the world, who was not continuous with the world. They had this concept of God that made the idea of an orderly universe possible, that made the idea of rationality, being able to take um, to take actions and see that those actions had a meaningful effect on the outcome of future events, uh, being able to logically derive consistent conclusions if the you know, given the truth of the premises. Uh, so the processes of logic and, and science and rationality, these are all things that are only possible on a Hebrew understanding of the world, especially when we're talking about any kind of religious context. And the problem is, is they didn't have the tools, uh, mentally speaking, d- developed to um, to really understand philosophy and a rich uh, a rich method of understanding the natural world. So uh, the problem is that those who did have this way of thinking, the Greco-Romans, for example, um, had no basis for it. They said, boy, it really sure seems like the world works this way, but on our understanding of the world, it shouldn't. That That's the thing, is they had this continuity mindset, this idea that the gods were... were um, somehow part of the world and that forces of nature and things of that uh, sort um, were manifestations of the activity of the gods. And in that view, there is no direct um, uh, consequences, no future consequences to, to one's actions. Everything is everything is continuous. At some level, we are related to everyone around us. Um, and we are related to the gods, and there everything is continuous in this way of understanding things. And so there was no reason to expect any kind of orderliness. And certainly the same goes for those who were atheists and those who, who claimed no sort of religious affinity. Um, one could observe that the world is a certain way, 
but they didn't have a basis for it, no reason for it. And to be honest with you, that is where I believe the 70%, the scientific majority, uh, who claim to be atheists or agnostics or whatever, um, I think this is where they live right now. I think they have reverted to this way. They understand that the world works a particular way, but they're not willing to ask why. And those scientists who have taken that further leap, who have said, no, there has to be a reason for this, these are the scientists that today understand um, Christianity, understand the necessary existence of God. Um, they have taken that further step. They've realized that everything that they've devoted their lives to is not possible on a view other than uh, arguably Christian theism. You could argue theism in general, um, but there's really no such thing. Uh, the fact of the matter is that um, every other worldview crumbles under rational gobbledygook, except for Christianity. The existence of the Christian God makes science possible. The process of science is possible. And so one may choose to, um, you know, pull the, the rug out from underneath of it and inconsistently practice science while ultimately holding on to a worldview where science is not possible, where rational thought is not possible. One can certainly hold that worldview, but then he acts inconsistently when he trusts his own scientific conclusions. You could even go further than that and say that he's acting inconsistently when he feels an obligation to accurately report his findings, because otherwise, what moral obligation is there to do so? Well, there isn't any. So, uh, that is the the second main thought that I wanted to bring out to you today, and to maybe color that a little further, um, the fact that the some of the evidence uh, that we see in history for the fact that theism makes science possible is that the actual method itself was developed by theists. There were some Muslim theists involved, and of course Christian theists throughout time, such as Bacon and um, um, Newton and so forth. So understand that this, um, this whole thing of science is made possible by God. It's made possible by God, and it was developed by those who love God and who understand that uh, God must be responsible because no other explanation will do. So that's all I have for you today. Uh, science, it's not controlled by the majority. Unfortunately, the majority are atheists. Uh, the majority of science, the scientists do not claim to believe in God. Nevertheless, they do so inconsistently because history reveals to us that the Christian worldview is responsible for the possibility of science and even for developing the scientific method. All right. So thank you for joining us today on this quick little excursion into how science works. Let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and want to come before you this morning with thanksgiving and praise, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done, for the way that you've acted in history, Lord, for revealing yourself through your natural world, for revealing yourself through your word, the Bible, for revealing yourself in your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, for revealing yourselves 
in a manifestation in the conviction of the Holy Spirit for for uh, for revealing yourself in conscious in, mor- in in conscience rather in in morality in our understanding of right versus wrong father you have chosen to reveal yourself in so many ways that you inspired the apostle paul to write in romans 1 that one day everyone would be without excuse i marvel at that we marvel at your glory and we're so thankful for who you are and what you've done for us. I pray now, Father, that you would encourage us to be bold witnesses for you to spread your grace into an unbelieving world that has been taken captive by sin and by the wiles of the devil. Lord, you have the remedy. May we ever be bold enough to share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining me this week on the Creation Academy. Next week, what we might do is spend some time talking uh, to piggyback on what we've discussed this week. We might spend some time talking about the relationship of science to the Bible. How do we handle it? How, how does does uh, do scientific conclusions ought they? Um, influence our interpretation of the Bible? Should we alter our interpretation of the Bible based on conclusions that we reach via the scientific method? Oh, these are these are very interesting questions. And so we're going to broach them next week here on the Creation Academy. Um, hey, uh, if you would, uh, you know, if you're enjoying this podcast, if it's helpful to you, if you are learning a lot, uh, would you mind just going on to Apple Podcasts uh, right there in the directory, leave a star review, leave a comment review. Those really help us to be able to get the message out to other people. Um, right now, we don't even have the first one, so uh, it'd really be nice uh, because um, when people search for podcasts that they want to listen to, uh, they will um, have an easier time finding our podcast if there are our reviews because iTunes and Apple, they figure all of that stuff in to the algorithm. They'll show um, episodes that have been highly rated um, before the others uh, and shows that were uh, that are more highly rated than others. So um, if you like what we're doing here, if you appreciate uh, what we have put together for you, I pray that you would uh, just uh, feel compelled to do it and, and to do it, uh, to leave a star review and a comment review for us. And hey, Uh, We will see you next week. Thanks again for joining us on the Creation Academy, and bye-bye.